family and welcome to caregiving is a ministry where we look at the word of god through the lens of caregiving today we're in the book of romans and if you remember from the first season chapter eight in the book of romans is my favorite favorite chapter so i probably will hone in on that for a little while but not during this first part (laughs) for this first part we're actually only going to be able to get to i think it's the first four chapters and because it's so meaty we'll tackle it just as we did Corinthians and break it up into pieces so this will be part one and I'll be reading various scriptures from um, chapters one and four reading from the New American Standard Bible chapter one verses eight through twelve first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world for God whom I serve in my spirit and in preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I have made mention of you always in my prayers requesting that perhaps now at last by the will of God I will succeed in coming to you For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Same chapter, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment, for in the manner in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think highly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Chapter 3, verses 21 through 27. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith has made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be 
in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. It's a lot, but we'll take it piece by piece. So when you read the first chapter in the book of Romans, you will see from the onset that Paul has a great affection for this body of believers, as he has, you know, with the churches in Philippi, although I still think the church in um, Philippi is his favorite, Colossians and the Corinthians. Notice we kind of had to leave out the church of Galatia. <laughs> and it wasn't that he didn't have a love for them, but it was their turning away from the doctrine that he taught, that he just kind of went all of the formalities of, you know, I love you and all this other stuff and just got straight to the point with them. But when you read the first chapter, you see that Paul has an affection for this body of believers. But once he gets that out of the way, how much he's loved them, he longs to be with them. They're doing great things, you know, they're being touted about all over the world for their faith. Then he gets to the point. He gets to the purpose or the theme of the letter. And I want us to take note that Paul never wrote a letter just to say, how you doing? There's, there's no letters that we have like that in the Bible. Hey, I'm just, I'm just seeing how you're doing. There always, there's always a deeper theological theme attached to his letters. And he wrote them to keep them encouraged and then to tackle the specific issues that they were facing. This is the church in general. But for this particular purpose, for this letter, we see in um, verse 18 in chapter 1 that they apparently were struggling with unrighteousness and, and, and what righteousness in God meant and how faith came in to the whole dynamic. Paul's letter is to focus them on the righteousness of God and who God through Jesus has washed them of all of their unrighteousness based on their faith and now they are righteous in Christ Jesus. From this chapter I mean, in chapter two, we, it appears that they are judging each other, right? And if you recall in the letter to the Corinthians, I believe it was the second letter, Paul stated that it is okay to judge within the body of Christ. Where there is sin within the body, we want to hold each other accountable. And so we cannot let that pass. But now here he's calling them foolish for judging. So is he being hypocritical here, saying one thing to one group and then something else to another as Paul would say, God forbid. <laughs> no, he's not. The letter to the Corinthians, remember, they were policing. He wanted them to police within their body, you know, making sure that sin was eradicated. Um, he didn't want it to taint the entire congregation. And it's not a, a gotcha kind of thing. It was, you're doing something wrong and in love, we need to bring you um, into sound doctrine so that you can correct and repent. And you notice, if you remember, in the Corinthians, they were boasting about their sin. And so that was a problem. In this church, it's not that they're boasting. It's just that they're continuing to sin and they're thinking that they are above being judged by the sin that they're doing. So they're judging others of sin while being sinful themselves. That is the very definition of a hypocrite. And Paul is saying you cannot do that. You are foolish if you think that you can go out and judge someone else and you still have sin and God's not going to judge you for that. It's inappropriate. When 
people refuse to take um, corrective measures, I guess you can say, or repent of the sin that they are doing, then we in the body of Christ are left with no choice but to help them maybe find another church home or continue to stress to them what they're doing is inappropriate and it is outside the will of God. Trying to hold someone accountable while you in fact are doing the same thing or something else. There are no little um, sins or big sins in God's eyes. There's just sin. That's it. And Paul is saying you cannot judge other people and still have sin and think that you're not going to be judged as well. Recognize the fact that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of sin. And then to walk accordingly to the grace of God and, you know, try not to sin no more. I find, um, what is it, verse 20 in chapter 1, where he states that, you know, creation is a testimony to God, you know, of his power. And because it's a testimony to God as to who who God is and his power, And because the world is that testimony, creation is that testimony, man is without excuse. No one can come and say, well, I didn't didn't know that there was a God. I didn't know that he really exists. And that through the creation and its order, God's attributes are made clear and they're clearly on display. No one is um, without excuse for saying that they don't know that there is a God and that he ordered this world. And Paul continues on with this, that because we are without excuse, then how can we try and execute judgment over whether someone is righteous or they're not righteous? We don't know that because God knows the heart. We see the fruit of it, perhaps, right? But the righteousness aspect of it, that comes through faith. And we can't judge faith because we can't see faith. Faith that has been given to Jesus Christ and, and only through Jesus Christ. That the works that we do is a reflection of the faith that we have in Jesus and not the other way around. So this body of believers, um, were, they were having problems with righteousness and how one becomes righteous and, and is it the works that make me righteous. And Paul is stressing to them that no, 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 you are made righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ. He continues his argument with the inclusivity of Christ, not exclusivity, but inclusivity of Christ. Christ draws all people to him. All of us have sinned. Therefore, doing away with the belief that, you know, Jews are better off than Gentiles. They were still struggling with the whole circumcision, uncircumcision thing. And so sometimes in Paul's letters, this one in particularly, he he calls the circumcised. Well, that means the Jew, the Jewish people. But once again, we are all one in Christ Jesus. He warns them that you know, understanding, he, he warns them that misunderstanding what the law's purpose was has kind of gotten them to the state that they're in now. And his argument is that it's the law um, that was distributed from God to Moses that really pointed to Jesus Christ. 
that and and I need you to know that they were more than 10 commandments <laughs> the law is, are the commandments and there were more than 10 the book of Leviticus is hundreds of laws that the Jewish people were to keep and so Paul state, states that the purpose of the law is to point to Christ because the the law shows them and us how sinful they are how sinful we are and that there's no way we can keep it and fulfill it, not keep it, but fulfill the law in its entirety. There are hundreds of laws <laughs> that the Jewish people are to perform, hundreds of them. And to be honest, today, I wonder, I don't have a Jewish friend that I can really talk Well, I don't have a Jewish friend yet. Hopefully God will provide me one. But <clears throat> I don't have a person that I'm close to of the Jewish faith to talk to them about the sacrifices and everything that is written in the Old Testament because they're no longer doing that in the synagogue. The synagogue is different than the temple. The temple is where there were sacrifices. And after the temple was destroyed, they went off and, you know, they have synagogues now. But they don't offer those type of sacrifices. So it's interesting how they do the atonement of sin. Because once a year, the priest was supposed to do that on behalf of the nation. So I would really like to talk to them about that. But I'm getting way off track here. The law, we cannot keep in its entirety. Only Jesus could. And so Paul is saying the law was to point to Jesus. Now that Jesus is here. You are not bound by the law as far as righteousness and salvation. All of us are one. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to become Jewish in order to accept Jesus as Savior. He has done everything. And as Paul continues in his role as um, shepherd to the early church, I think he shows us a number of things, things that have been consistent throughout his letters. One, he shows us his commitment to his role as a shepherd. He's committed. He highlights the importance of staying situationally aware. We talked about that before. And establishing an ongoing dialogue between him and the churches that he planted. He just doesn't plant them and then like, okay, go off and do great things. And he, he's on to something else. He creates that dialogue, that nurturing aspect. Because... If you recall, the Corinthians wrote to him because in his letter he goes, now the things that you've addressed. So they're asking him for advice, which is great. So they know that they're not alone. He also shows us, once again, not to be afraid of confrontation, to put the issues on the table, and to provide sound doctrine to redirect false beliefs, thinking, or behaviors. Paul shows us his willingness to sacrifice for his role as shepherd over the churches that he planted. Paul does whatever is possible or necessary to preserve the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. And to me, it's that pursuit of him preserving the sound doctrine that keeps him very much alive in the churches that he's planted. Because his underlying, I guess, calling, we should say, you know, in Christian community, your calling. Paul's calling was to preach to the Gentiles, to bring the good news to the Gentiles. And in bringing that good news, he recognized that he needed to stay in touch. Because as he would go and plant something, 
the enemy would come around and try and dig it up, stir up all sorts of stuff going on in the church. And people just didn't quite understand everything that they needed to at that time, as if we do now. And so he had to be involved because he wanted to make sure the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ continued. What I want to highlight for us caregivers today is our willingness to do what it takes for the role of caregiving. Paul was willing to do what it took. He did whatever it took. He went to jail. He traveled all over. He stayed in touch. He was kind of embarrassed a couple of times. You know, he did what was necessary. And I know that statement can be scary. It was scary to me when I realized that I was going to be a caregiver for my mom because I knew immediately it would call upon me to do some things that I may not be ready for or willing to do. The willingness for us to do what it takes. And the question is, you know, what will you be asked to do or to forego during this season of caregiving? Perhaps it is a relationship. You may have to put that on hold. Or educational aspirations. A job or career move. Home ownership or relocation. Independence, right? Doing what it takes. Maybe you may have to make some adjustments, you know. Relocate some assets, financial assets to provide for your care for your loved one. It may be become getting very astute on Medicare and Medicaid. I'd recommend you do that. It may mean you need to change bedpans and adult diapers, doing what it takes. But I'm here to share that it is in the doing what it takes where you'll, you will find your true character. That's where it will be revealed. The person God knows that you are but you don't know it yet. The person who understands that during this time, it isn't about you, but it's about your relationship with God, who at this particular time has asked you to serve him by serving your loved one. The willingness to do what it takes. Paul sacrificed his willingness to sacrifice for his role. And now our willingness to sacrifice for our loved one, but really our willingness to sacrifice for our savior who sacrificed for us. That's the lesson today. And I know you're up to the challenge because you're a caregiver. God wouldn't have called you to this season if he hadn't already planted it deep within you that you'd be able to do it. So take courage in that and learn to trust him. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you. We thank you for depositing treasures and fields that may look barren at times. Our hearts aren't as, I don't know, the good soil that we would like them to be at times. Sometimes they're hardened. Sometimes they're torn between so many other commitments. But give us a heart, Father, that is solely dedicated to you, that you plant the seed of trust within our hearts. And 
help it to grow so that we trust you in all situations of our lives. As caregivers, you are asking us to commit to this role during this season. And only you know how long this season will last and only you really know the outcome of the season. But what you ask us to do is to trust you. And so Father, I ask that you help us to trust you. Help us to give our futures to you. Even though we know that you have our futures, help us to give our futures to you. Acknowledging that in due season, in due time, all of the dreams and aspirations that we may have thought for ourselves, that you take them and you rework them and that you will bring them to fruition in your timing. And if they do not come to fruition, that we have the understanding and the faith in you to know then that just wasn't something that was for us. Because you are the God who not only delights in us, but as we diligently seek you, you give us the desires of our heart. Help our very first desire, Lord, be to love and to serve you. Bless each and every person who's listening to this podcast today because the challenges of caregiving can be so vast. You know what each and every one of them must do. Help them to realize that you're right there. Send them people to encourage them and help them and to give them peace and to help them grow in the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, faithfulness, and self-control during this season. Help them to experience your unconditional love so they can pass it down to the person they're caring for. We love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, my dear caregivers, now go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.